What's up, Fight Fans? Guess what? It's Monday. You know what that means? It's time for another episode of The Neutral Corner. Episode number 130, in fact. Yeah, that's right. 130 episodes in the books of The Neutral Corner. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. Before I get started, just want to let you know I am headed to New Orleans this week, or New Orleans, as the people down here say. It's all like one word to the people down here. Uh, my southern accent obviously needs some work. But uh, Tiffany and I will be heading down to New Orleans to cover that top rank on ESPN card featuring Regis Progre that Saturday. So any of you going to that card, let me know, man. Get at me in the comment section here on this video or on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is. Let me know. And, uh, you know, if we can meet up and have a beer and talk some boxing, take a pic, whatever, post that shit on Instagram, Facebook, all of them. Let me know, all right, because we're going to be down there. Also, before I get started here, I want to let you guys know about patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. If you could go there, even if it's a dollar a month, and tip the show, because guess what? We're an independent operation, and these trips to New Orleans or to uh, Los Angeles, which we'll be taking in a couple weeks for the, Easter Gar- or for the Garcia Easter card, and then uh, in September, we're going to be traveling out to Las Vegas for the Canelo Golovkin rematch, and on and on and on it goes. These trips are not free. Now, we are often comped meals and things like that as part of the promotion, uh, you know, media rates at the hotels, things like that. But guys, we're paying for this stuff and we're an independent operation. I could go exclusive with one particular platform, but then I got to ride with that platform's narrative and I'd get taken care of more when it comes to traveling. I like to keep it independent. Me and Tiff like to do it together as an independent operation. That's why we could use your guys' help. So if you could go to patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing, anything you guys could give to help us out, greatly appreciate it. If you guys are interested in an MLB t-shirt, email me, MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com. Also, last but certainly not least, go to Apple Podcasts, find the Neutral Corner Podcast, give us a like, a subscribe, a rating, And please, please, please spread the word. If you don't have the latest issue of Boxing Monthly, the July issue is out now. And there's some good stuff in there uh, featuring Dillian White and Isaac Dogbo, who just blasted onto the scene recently with his big, big performance, right? But I thought that there is a section in there that was particularly interesting, and I'm looking at it right now. Every time you open up Boxing Monthly magazine, one of the first features you see is the Preacher's Corner with Billy Preacher Graham. And in the July issue, he was talking about the unhealthy situation, is what it says right there at the top of the page. He's talking about fighters cutting unhealthy amounts of weight. And I just thought that it was was very telling that we put this up in the July issue, and here it is, Danny O'Connor just had major, major issues trying to make weight for his fight against Jose Carlos Ramirez, which I'll talk about later on in this episode. But that's just the kind of insight that you get in Boxing Monthly magazine. And... Nobody knew something like that was going to happen, right? We didn't know, but it's just very, very timely. That preacher talked about that, and boom, we had this issue with Danny O'Connor. So, guys, check out the mag. If, if you live in a country that doesn't have, or a part of the country in the United States that doesn't have Boxing Monthly at your local bookstore, magazine store, whatever, you can get it online. There's also an app. So make sure you check that out. All right, guys, let's get right into news and notes. It's going to be another news and notes heavy episode as we're in the dog days of summer. Let's get it started, baby. 
All right, so I guess it's worth mentioning that Gennady Golovkin, Canelo Alvarez, they had a press conference, a satellite phone-in press conference last week. Pretty dull, nothing to it. I really, to be honest, I didn't even call in. And I was talking to both sides of this promotion as part of a, a feature piece that I'm doing for the August issue of Boxing Monthly Magazine. And uh, I'll tell you this, getting a hold of Golden Boy's side and talking to Canelo and even Eddie Reynoso, Chepo, any of them, uh, Eric Gomez, Oscar. Now, a couple of them were traveling and, and stuff like that, but I just couldn't get a hold of those guys. But I emailed a little bit back and forth, but I knew that this press conference is pretty much going to be just people going through the motions. It was one of those things where it was almost an obligatory type of deal. And there was nothing explosive. There was nothing to it. I almost don't know why they did it. These things cost money. And were there any quotes that came from this that mattered? Not for me. I went back and looked at the transcript. I, I listened to some of it. Nothing much there. And I wasn't, I asked a thousand times beforehand, hey, can I get some questions in directly to Canelo? I'm doing this piece. And I couldn't get a straight answer from the guys at Golden Boy. So I didn't even bother with it. Anyway, I talked personally last week with, with Tom Loeffler, Abel Sanchez, and Gennady Golovkin. And I asked them some questions. I can't really get into everything we talked about because I don't want to ruin the piece that I'm doing for Boxing Monthly Magazine next month. You're just going to have to go out and buy the issue, guys. But, um, this is what I've gathered, okay? The basic general point of view here. Now that the deal is done and the fight is on, a lot of the bad blood and animosity between the two guys, that's gonna be pent up and that's gonna be held back until fight week. Because I think in the back of both fighters' minds, they don't wanna screw this, this shit up. It's done, it was canceled before, things got in the way, it was such a delicate deal. I don't think either one of them wanna screw it up, they just wanna focus on the fight itself. Now, come fight week, come time for the weigh-in and things like that, I do think things are gonna get a little bit heated. I don't see these two pushing and shoving each other. I Maybe you could see Canelo pushing Golovkin, I, I don't know, because he's definitely pissed off about some of the things Gennady has said. Uh, it's possible, but both of these two guys are, are more, just more apt to do their talking in the ring. Who I think is going to be continuing to talk more and more and more are the trainers. The promoters don't want to screw this thing up. The fighters don't want to screw this thing up. So I think it's the trainers that are going to do a lot of the trash talking. And if you saw last week, there was a quote from Chepo Reynoso, I think it was Chepo, who said... Uh, uh, something to the effect, and I, I'm not, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. They're talking about Abel Sanchez and his criticism of Canelo, saying basically, um, this dude's a donkey. He's, you know, there's a saying in Mexico that the donkey makes noise just so people know that the donkey's there. Because if the donkey didn't say anything, nobody would know the donkey was even there. Basically, because, you know, donkeys are stupid and nobody cares about them. That's basically what he was saying. So when I talked to Abel, you know, I called Abel, he was in a training session and he couldn't talk at that time. So he called me back, I think it was last Thursday night. Uh, yeah, I think it was last Thursday night. And he brought this up. I had never even heard about it. So I had to go looking for the, for the donkey thing. But he just goes, look, man, I'm not the donkey who ate the beef, okay? It is the same talking to the Reynosos. 
And he was basically saying, your guys, your fighter ate the tainted meat. And you people who supposedly used to be butchers or work in that business, let your fighter eat the tainted beef. So it sounds to me like you're the damn donkeys. Why do I bring this up? Uh, because, again, he said it to me last week. I pull up BoxingScene.com this morning, <laughs> and there's a story about it. So obviously, Abel's been talking about that with a few different people. But um, those are the types of headlines I think you're going to see on Boxing Scene, the clickbait sites, even though they're you know three or four days later than I got it. But either way, those are what the, that's what those guys are going to post. That's the trash talk you're going to see leading up to the fight. I think it's mostly going to be between the trainers. They're going to kind of carry that load. The promoters are going to worry about the business of promoting the fight and not screwing it up. The trainers are going to worry about, or I'm sorry, the fighters are going to worry about getting in shape and focusing on the fight. It's almost like what Freddie Roach started to kind of do later on in Manny Pacquiao's career where he started to talk trash. And he, I remember before uh, Manny fought Ricky Hatton, I mean, that goes back, shit, probably almost a decade now. Uh, you know, he was getting into it, Freddie Roach was, with, with Floyd Mayweather Sr. That's the kind of thing I think you're going to see from the trainers. That's just my prediction going up to the Canelo-Golovkin rematch. Anyway, let's move on. Anthony Joshua, his next two fights, the dates, the venues are set. Eddie Hearn put out a statement talking about September 22nd, which is going to be against Alexander Povetkin. That isn't an official yet, but that's what it's going to be. And we'll probably get an announcement here within the next few days. And then April 13th, 2019, who's it going to be against? Now, both of these are going to be at Wembley. And I think he's been fighting in Cardiff recently, but they're going back to Wembley. And it makes a lot of sense to build up kind of this first event at Wembley against Povetkin, who's going to be arguably the third, maybe second best opponent of Joshua's career. And then you build that up for next April against Deontay Wilder. So if I had to buy or sell and my man Scott Jarvis asked me about this on Twitter uh, last week. Buy or sell April 13th, 2019 as the date for Joshua Wilder 1. Because remember, guys, these guys are going to gonna have a series of fights. It's not just going to be a one and done. I would buy right now. Now, would I say 80%, 90%? No. There's too many variables. There's too many things that could come up. Too many hurdles. But... I would say 60-40, actually 70-30, that that will be the date for Joshua Wilder 1. And then later next year, it will come, part two will be in Las Vegas. So that's what we see, that's what I see happening. We will see as things play out what actually happens. All right, real quick, Stevenson, Adana Stevenson, Alexander Gavazdik. I talked about this in a rant video. There was purse bid shenanigans. As to date, I don't think the WBC has made a, a ruling on it. I don't think they will. I think that Bob Arum and Top Rank are good to go, and this fight should move forward. So as it turns out, I think I'm just off the top of my head. I think it's like 1.2 million or so. Stevenson will get like 700,000. Gavazdik will get. I'm interested in that fight. I think it's definitely going to Canada, and it's more than likely going to Showtime. 
but that's going to be a good one when it happens. Hopefully Showtime stacks that somehow with a double or triple header. I hope it's supposed to be later this year. I hope that the WBC and everybody involved holds firm to that. There was supposed to be a fight or perhaps a purse bid that would lead to a fight between James DeGale, the, IB, the former IBF super middleweight titleist, and Jose Uzcategui, or Uzcategui, depending on uh, how you want to pronounce it. But James DeGale decided to vacate his title. No shit. We all knew that was probably going to happen. James DeGale does not want any of that work. He went life and death in two fights with Caleb Truax. Jose Uzcategui, or Uzcategui, would tear his ass up. He'd eat his ass up. So, you know, in one sense, you can't blame James DeGale for doing this. But he does deserve some criticism for doing it. One thing about James DeGale, he is one of these fighters that some people just love for some reason and think the world of. And if you criticize James DeGale at all, there are some people out there who lose their freaking mind. My boy Steve Kim, I think it was on 4th of July, 4th of July on his Twitter profile became James DeGale Day. Maybe it was the day before 4th of July, I can't remember. But anyway, there were a lot of you guys in the UK who were really pissed off at some of the things Steve Kim was saying, but Steve was really just keeping it real about James DeGale. I'll speak for myself. I, I think James DeGale obviously was a very accomplished amateur, right? The Olympics, everything. And then he goes pro, and he, he, he has won titles as a pro. He didn't beat very good fighters to, to win those titles. He never really did much. He, he didn't clean out a division or become the guy or anything like that. But you can't take away the fact of what he accomplished in the amateurs and then winning a title in the pros. So he carved out a very nice career for himself. He's nowhere near a Hall of Fame candidate or anything like that. And for some of you guys to suggest that is just a little crazy to me. But at no point did I feel James DeGale ever was a pound-for-pound -pound type talent. I thought that he was always pretty overrated by some people. Now, there's people out there who probably underrate him. He was a good quality super middleweight. He was among the, the top five or so super middleweights in the world for a while. But he was never, never a guy that I saw as the best in the division. And he was never a guy that I saw as, you know, on the cusp of the pound for pound list or anything like that. He just wasn't. And I, he was a guy to me that had more of an amateur style. He'd fight in little one minute spurts. And later on in fights, you know, he, he had heart. He had balls. He showed that against Badu Jack. And I, I still think Badu Jack won that fight. But I thought James DeGale showed a lot of balls and heart in that fight. But in professional boxing, you have three minute rounds. And James DeGale wasted a lot of energy with nervous, herky-jerky movement that was not effective. And he moved around a lot and wasted time in rounds and just gave chunks of rounds away. And then he'd fight in these little minute-long bursts. So to me, he was just never uh, a top elite-level guy. That's just the way I see James DeGale. But anyway, now the guy is the full IBF super middleweight titleist. It is mandated that he will fight Caleb Plant next. I think there will be a purse bid mandate by the IBF. Talk about the contrast of styles there. You have one of the more exciting fighters in Jose Uzcategui and one of the more boring fighters in boxing against Caleb Plant. It'll be interesting to see uh, how that fight pans out. 
But for James DeGale, he's obviously going to go for a domestic level matchup at this point that brings him more money and, you know, causes less damage to his face. So you kind of can't blame him at this point, right? Let's talk about Reggie's pro grade. And I told you guys before, I'll be in New Orleans covering his fight coming up Saturday. But there was some news last week. I was happy to be proven wrong on the last episode of The Neutral Corner, episode 129. I told you guys, I didn't think Pro Grade was going to go in the World Boxing Super Series tournament, the 140-pound tournament. I just didn't see it working out that way politically. But I was completely wrong, and I was happy to be proven wrong. Pro Grade will enter the tournament as long as he beats Juan Jose Velasco this Saturday in New Orleans. So he will enter the 140-pound tourney. We already got Taylor in the tourney. So obviously those two are the favorites. The field isn't that strong in the tournament yet, although I don't think they've listed all the fighters. But so what if those are the top two? If those are the top two and we get those top two fighting each other in the finale, guess what? It's a pretty damn good tournament. And now that it's part of the zone, if you subscribe to that service, you're going to get to see all that action and programming, not just the fights, but programming before the fights, after the fights, pressers, all that stuff. Not bad. Not bad. You look at the cruiserweight tournament. You got Usyk. You got Gassiev. They were the two favorites going in, right? Most people felt that those were going to be the two guys. The rest of the field was still loaded. It was a, a strong tournament. But those are the two guys who came out. And now you're going to unify all the titles. They're undefeated, right? Someone's always got to go. All that stuff. Well, what if that ends up happening between Pro Gray and Taylor? And they'll really just be, neither one of them, I, I think, will uh, have 20 pro fights. I know Taylor won't have 20 pro fights by then. And the winner of that tourney is likely at least the number two 140-pounder in the world. That's pretty impressive stuff, man. Also, Nonito Donaire has jumped in along with uh, Naoya Inoue and other fighters in that bantamweight tournament. So season three of the World Boxing Super Series is going to be a lot of fun, man. Now going back a week or so, Gilberto Ramirez against Angulo. That triple header from Oklahoma City, it averaged 632 viewers on ESPN. And all 632,000 who watch Gilberto Ramirez probably aren't very interested in watching him again. Everyone who saw Alex Saucedo, on the other hand, they definitely want to see him again. The prior fight on ESPN that Ramirez had against Habib Ahmed, the legend that is Habib Ahmed, drew 741,000. That was from Corpus Christi, Texas on February 3rd. So his viewership is trending downward. And this is during the summer when you're not competing with the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, you're just competing with Major League Baseball. So I, I get it, man. It, not a big name, everything else, understood. But in theory, you would think Gilberto Ramirez's ratings would go up right now. But they didn't. Now, it's tough fighting around July 4th. People are traveling. Okay, okay, I get all that. But not trending the right way. Now, Ramirez said in an interview this week that he really hopes that Bob Arum gets him in a unification match next. I'll believe that shit when I see it because Grandpa Bob has not been playing well with others recently. And uh, that is one thing that is a huge flaw with Bob Arum. He's not the only one, 
But that is, you know, he has been holding up some unification matches with his refusal to play with other promoters. I understand why they don't want to go into the World Boxing Super Series, why he has fighters, you know, who don't want to, they don't want them going in those tournaments because of the network deals and things they're trying to do here with ESPN. Like, I understand that. But we should see more unification matches from his guys. Hopefully that happens for Gilberto Ramirez soon because I don't know what the hell they're doing with that career. Another top-ranked fighter, prospect, Shakur Stevenson, arrested last week, charged with battery for his part in a brawl in the Miami parking garage. Hopefully when Stevenson was in that brawl, he punched harder against whoever the hell he was fighting with than he punches in his fights because he's pretty feather-fisted so far as a professional boxer. Either way, not good. Not a good look. Now, Shakur Stevenson, he's got some good people managing his career in terms of top rank. He can't do any better. But he's got some other people around him that aren't necessarily the best people to have around and not exactly giving, uh, creating the best influence. So we'll see what happens with this kid. I still don't see a whole lot of upside as a pro. I think the top rank, because of their ability to skillfully uh, put together match, you know, matches that make sense, that, that build up prospects, they're going to get every ounce of ability out of Stevenson, and they'll take him as far as he can go. Do I see a future unified champion or anything like that? No, but perhaps the kid could grab a title or two throughout his career. We'll have to find out. But this kind of shit's got to stop. You know, th this is not the way to start things off. Now, maybe it will just be a slap on the wrist and he'll learn and move forward. Nothing wrong with that. We've all been young. We've all been stupid. We've, you know, I've been arrested a couple times for dumb shit. So it happens, right? We'll find out. This guy has some good people managing his career and some not so good people around him. Hopefully the people, hopefully Stevenson is smart enough. He was smart enough to sign with top rank. Hopefully he's smart enough to start listening to some of the more successful people around him and stop listening to some of the idiots around him. All right, one last little bit here, some more purse bid stuff. Raimundo Beltran versus Roman Andreev, who is a 21-0 with 15 knockouts Russian. Uh, he's going to challenge Beltran for his WBO title. And top rank won the purse bid between them. They put up 250 grand. They're going to fight in Phoenix on August 25th. Beltran, of course, is a native of Mexico, but lives in Phoenix now, in the Phoenix area, I do believe. Andreev won an eliminator in February. That was the same month that Beltran won his title. And top rank loves Fernando Beltran. A lot of the people in the Southern California, West Coast boxing media scene love this guy. Hard not to love him when you talk to him and you hear his story and everything that he and his family have been through. So top rank really wanted to make sure that he got a title defense in his hometown where he had every uh, advantage, every possible advantage going up, going up against this undefeated Russian. This fight's not worth $250,000, but top rank put in that money. And I think because they're putting it in Phoenix, uh, I think they'll do pretty good numbers. And um, I don't know if they'll make a profit on this card. They might go into their pocket a little bit. But either way, I do think Beltran will come out of this with a victory. If not, um, well, you know, there's probably something to this Russian kid. Because I, th I don't know for sure, but I think this will be his first fight in America. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one, guys. 
But, uh, you know, going up against a seasoned veteran like Beltran, um, you know, that, that's intimidating. Doing it in his adopted hometown where he's going to have a bunch of screaming fans around, that's intimidating as well. I think that's going to be a fun fight, man, style-wise. All right, that is it for news and notes. Let's review what took place last week. So not a whole lot going on last week. We are in the dog days of summer. It was a holiday week. But Friday, July 6th at Belasco Theater, downtown Los Angeles, it was Golden Boy Promotions, another Friday fight night, or fight club, I should say, Friday fight club on Australia TV. In the headliner, Oscar Negrete wins a unanimous decision in eight rounds over Diol Olguin. I'm probably butchering that name. This was a bantamweight fight for, uh, for Negrete. He belongs there. Man, if he could get down to 115, That'd be even better, but does uh, better at 118 pounds. Remember his last fight, this was a comeback from that loss to Ray Vargas. He hung tough with Vargas, but you know, Vargas pretty much tuned him up. Saturday, July 7th in Astana, Kazakhstan, Beibut Shumanev scores a ninth round stoppage win over a German fighter, knocked him down in the first round and goes on to win the fight. Pretty much uh, dominated, although I, I do think there were a couple rounds you can give to the German. Either way, this was his first fight since May of 2016. So more than two years out of the ring. And guess what the WBA does? WBA says, you know what? Shit. This guy used to have one of our titles at light heavyweight. Let's go ahead and throw a vacant title out here. Even though this dude hasn't fought in over two years. And he's fighting a German bootmaker i don't know uh man, let's go ahead and make this for a vacant wba cruiserweight title so even though i just talked a minute ago about Usyk and gassiev the real top two cruiserweights fighting for the real cruiserweight championship of the world pretty soon later this month the wba wants some of them kazakhstan dollars they want some of that kazakh cash so this fight was for the vacant wba regular Cruiserweight championship of the world. If you needed an excuse to hate the WBA more, I just gave it to you guys. Also, Saturday, July 7th, over here in America at the Save Mart Arena in Fresno, California. Top rank was back on ESPN. And Danny O'Connor was supposed to fight Jose Carlos Ramirez. Now, a lot of people talked about this being a showcase fight for Ramirez. It was way, way, way one-sided. And it was. It was going to be a beatdown. This Irishman was going to go in there and get his pale ass tuned up until uh, the fight got stopped. Probably on cuts or something like that. However, none of that even happened. Didn't come to fruition. Because O'Connor was hospitalized with severe hydration. If you guys have seen some of the photos on social media, man, he looks bad. He looks like Gollum from the Lord of the Rings, just like a prune. Looks really, really, really bad. Not good. I remember attending a seminar that the California State Athletic Commission did. Uh, their chairman, their, 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 their top guy, Andy Foster, and uh, referee Jack Reese hosted it. And they talked about one of the major issues right now that they're finding is the extreme weight gain and weight loss with fighters. And this is an even worse problem in MMA, where there's a much worse performance enhancing drugs problem as well. 
when you are severely dehydrating yourself, you're actually de also dehydrating your brain, guys. Your brain is part of your body. So when you're dehydrating your brain, that is literally taking time off of your life. So to severely dehydrate your organs and everything, that's never good, right? But your muscles and all that can recover. But to literally dehydrate your brain, there have been fighters who have become so dehydrated, they've had seizures, they've had brain seizures, and they had to go to the hospital. It is one of the unhealthiest things you can do as a fighter. And then to drain yourself like that and go into a ring and get knocked around by a trained killer, and that's what boxers are, let's be honest here. Boxers are indeed trained killers. That is taking years off your life. So apparently, Danny O'Connor spent four hours, four hours in a sauna sweating, trying to make weight for the Ramirez fight, 140-pound fight. Where was his effing team during that four-hour period? Whoever this dude's corner man is, whoever his manager, promoter, whoever is, should be held accountable. I'm not even going to look at the promoter, but manager, trainer, any staff that was with him while he was going through that process that allowed that to happen. And this, this young man probably took time off his life suffering like that. There needs to be a suspension. Somebody needs to be held accountable. Until that starts to happen, we're going to see more shit like this. Guys, if you're a fighter, part of you choosing your team is you on a team to protect you to a certain degree. You're the one fighting. You're the one risking your life. But to a certain degree, they are there to protect you, to guide you, to take care of you. If you have a corner that don't give a shit and they're there just collecting a paycheck, or even if they do give a shit, but they're so ignorant and incompetent that they're allowing this kind of shit to happen, you need a new team. Or... In Danny O'Connor's case, you need to move up and wait. Or, more than that, maybe you just need to find a new gig. Maybe boxing isn't for you. So, either way, main event doesn't happen because one guy almost killed himself trying to make weight. And props to the California State Athletic Commission. I mean, obviously the guy was hospitalized, but um, they did the right thing here. And for top rank... They just went forward with the card, no main event, and they were not going to refund tickets. I know that really pissed off a lot of people, but you still had the rest of the card. You weren't paying Vegas prices for these tickets. There's not a whole lot going on in Fresno. And I got friends from that area, and I've gone up there and visited them, so I'm saying that with love. I'm not saying that to diss Fresno. I got people I really, really love from that area. But... All things considered, the show must go on. And in the new main event, Igadijas Kavaliauskas scores a 10-round unanimous decision over Juan Carlos Abreu. Scores were 97-93 twice in 96-94. Kavaliauskas is now 20-0 with 16 knockouts. The Lithuanian who lives and trains now in Oxnard kind of reminds me of a more advanced 
more physical, more upside version of Rashidi Ellis, I think. I talked about Rashidi Ellis recently, a Golden Boy Promotions prospect who kind of is inconsistent with his performances. Sometimes he puts in a really exciting performance and you just want to see the guy again because he looks spectacular. And you think, well, maybe this is a guy I need to keep my eye on. Maybe this guy has real, real uh, potential here. But then sometimes he stinks to join out. Kavliowskis, his mentality is to be exciting. He wants to go in there and brawl and come forward. He only knows that way of fighting. But there are times where he just looks very, very sloppy, doesn't look conditioned very well. And in the later rounds of this fight, didn't look so great. He had four straight knockouts coming in. And, you know, look, here's the, here's the silver lining if you're a fan of the mean machine. That's Kavliowska's nickname. This is the first time he went 10 rounds. That's important. That's important. And also, Abreu had never been stopped. So all things considered, okay, decent performance. Didn't set the world on fire. I definitely think he did more than Gilberto Ramirez did, but didn't do much more than, you know, Rashidi Ellis or Ramirez himself, really. I mean, it is what it is. You know, sometimes you got to win today, look good tomorrow. But if you're a young prospect and you all of a sudden get thrust into the main event of a card, this is your chance. And one of the things fans of the Mean Machine have complained about with Top Rank is like, man, this guy, he's been thrown on these undercards forever where he's been like the third, fourth, fifth fight. You know, it wasn't even a co-main. And here's his chance. He was actually going to be the co-main in this card. But then he got bumped up to the main event. It's like, dude, this is your shot. Go out there, balls out, and get people talking. You saw what Alex Saucedo did in Oklahoma City. People are still talking about that kid. They want to see him again. This is your chance. And it just, I don't know, Mean Machine just wasn't a great night. But, yo, he gets the W. And he won, I would say, clearly seven of the ten rounds. So, whatever. He moves forward. He's got ten rounds of footage to look at and learn from. And sometimes you need these performances to perform better on a bigger stage later on in your career. Now, also on this card, Andy Ruiz scores a 10-round unanimous decision over Kevin Johnson. Calls out Jarrell Big Baby Miller after the fight. Now, that's a fight I'd like to see for several reasons. You'd have a East Coast guy and a West Coast guy. And you'd have two fat guys. But one guy, fat and doesn't really carry the muscle fat power with them. Neither one really does, but Miller just seems to have more upper body strength and more natural physical strength and athleticism than Ruiz. So neither one of them are big power punchers, but they throw punches and bunches. They move well for, for fat guys. They're light on their feet and everything, but I just think Miller would have more natural physical strength and athleticism than Ruiz. Either way, I'd love to see that fight. I think it'd be a lot of fun. You take that to LA or you take that to New York, that'd be a fun one. I might have to attend that one if that ever happened. Uh, Ruiz, 252 pounds, his lowest since 2016. Here's the thing though, guys. I thought Ruiz could have went to the body more. I thought that he could have pressured Johnson more. I thought he could have did more in this fight. Kevin Johnson was coming off a TKO loss to a fighter named Pitar Milas in March. 
I don't know who Pitar Milas is. I think it's Croatian. You guys probably don't know who he is either. Okay? And that dude stopped Kevin Johnson. Going back to 2015, Anthony Joshua, who was really just a prospect at that point, KO'd Kevin Johnson in two rounds. Now I get it. Styles make fights. Yada, yada, yada. I, I get it. But Andy Ruiz, if you can't stop this walking corpse that is Kevin Johnson, I don't know about your chances against Jarrell Big Baby Miller, bro. I don't know. I don't know. Also, Andy Vincent scores a 10-round unanimous decision over Frank D'Alba, a Puerto Rican fighter. Uh, and I think that that was another boring type of fight. Uh, look, guys got opportunities on this card. And none of them really, really took advantage of the opportunities. They all kind of just went through the motions and got Ws. Whether it was Kavliowskis, Ruiz, or Vences. You know, you guys, everything got bumped up when that Ramirez-O'Connor fight got canceled. And you had a big, big chance here. And I just didn't see that fire, man. I just didn't see it. Anyway, that is it for last week, guys. Now, we got some stuff to look forward to this week, so let's get into the preview. Okay, we got some big, big fights coming up this weekend on Saturday. And uh, before I get into that, though, Friday, July 13th, in Hyogo, Japan, Ryuya Yamanaka is defending his WBO minimum weight title. That's 105 pounds for the second time. Also, at LA Live, downtown Los Angeles, Golden Boy Promotions has a card on ESPN. And in the headliner, undefeated Los Angeles featherweight prospect, Duet Gonzalez, who is 19-0 with 11 knockouts. He is fighting in a 10-rounder. Also, female fighter, Maricela, 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 I can never pronounce her first name right, Cornejo, 5'10", super middleweight. Not the best fighter in the world, not the most skilled, but the side titty game, fellas, if you've seen her weigh-in photos, A-plus elite level side titty game. That's, a, that's all I'm going to say. Now look, I, you know, 98% of my listeners and my followers are, are male, so that's who I'm talking to. So for the 2 or 3% of you that are females listening to this show, I do not mean to offend. I'm just having a little fun. I'm also, though, referencing the, the concept that, well, I understand why female boxers would use sexuality to market themselves. Because, again, I repeat, 98% of my listeners are male. 98% of boxing consumers are male. And sports consumers in general are mostly male. So if you're a female fighter and you have, you're, you're attractive, you have a big, big A-level side titty game, you're going to use that. I get it. But here's my issue. If that's all you really got and there's not much substance behind that, then I'm going to call it out and I'm going to have a little fun with it. And I'm not trying to bash Cornejo at all. I actually met her at a few of the functions in Los Angeles and I know her manager pretty well. And um, her, man her manager is an awesome person and she's really nice. She's cool and she's very articulate. She's good on camera. Uh, she can handle all of that very, very well. I just, you know, look, she fights in the same division. Well, uh, Clarissa Shields was a super middleweight. She, she moved down in her most recent fight, but she'll at some point uh, after she fights Christina Hammer, she'll probably move back up to super middleweight. But Corneo has fought at middleweight herself. 
Like, I I'm not seeing a huge rush to get Cornejo and Clarissa Shields in the ring together. You know, I'm not see like, I hope I'm proven wrong. I, ho I hope something like that can happen and we see Cornejo go for the top fighters in the world. But I've never heard her call out Christina Hammer, Clarissa Shields, be willing to travel to Michigan to fight Shields, be willing to travel over to Europe to fight Hammer. Like, I haven't heard those things coming out of there. I've seen a lot of side titty, and I've seen a lot of promos promoting side titty while she works out. So, anyway. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to trigger a lot of people with that one. Anyway, so yeah, if you guys want to see that, that's on ESPN Friday night. Also, in Detroit, there's a card at the Motor City Casino featuring undefeated Michigan heavyweight Jermaine Franklin, who was 16-0 with 13 knockouts. All right, so Saturday, we got some action in Germany. Tyro Tyrone or Tyron Zuge fighting Rocky Fielding, the fourth defense of his WBA super middleweight title. That's going down. And then let's talk about this card in New Orleans. At the Lakefront Arena, top rank on ESPN. In the main event, Regis Progre versus Juan Jose Velasco. So Tiff and I will be getting there Thursday. So we'll be at the weigh-in. If, uh, if, if I could get a chance to interview Reggie's pro grade, because I've never interviewed him, I've never seen him fight live, I will try to get in there and get an interview, guys. If you have any specific questions you'd like me to ask him, drop it here in the comment section of this video or tweet them to me. I'll try to get them in, okay? If I can get a few minutes alone with him, I will try to get those questions in. Obviously, I like pro grade big. I, I think that I get the sense from Reggie's pro grade that he understands opportunity, risk, you know, the, the, the equation, the scales, how they can tip. And sometimes you got to take risks when you have opportunity to strike it big. And I think that he knows Jose Carlos Ramirez wants no part of him right now. I don't see that fight happening anytime soon. And that's a big reason why he decided to go into the World Boxing Super Series tournament. I also think he knows this is a big opportunity for him. He's headlining on ESPN. This is a big deal. And I think he's going to take advantage of that and come out guns blazing. He's also from the New Orleans area, Louisiana. And I think that he wants to show out for the hometown fans. I think he's going to look great in this fight and put on a really exciting performance and score a knockout win. That's what I see. Also on this card, Teofimo Lopez, 9-0 with seven knockouts, turns 21 years old in just a few weeks. He's fighting William Silva, a Brazilian fighter who took Felix Berdejo the distance back in 2016. Lopez is Brooklyn-born but now lives in trains in Florida, so it's not a long trip for him from Florida over to New Orleans. This will be his first scheduled 10-rounder, and he's fighting for a vacant minor title. Of course, the WBC's putting it up. They want to get involved early in this guy's career because they know he's going to be winning titles. Ton of prospects on this card as well. Jean uh, Carlos Rivera, who's a featherweight fighter. Eric De Leon, who's a super featherweight. 2016 American Olympian Charles Conwell is out of Cleveland. He's a junior middleweight. There's a fighter who won 2016 gold at 140 pounds. Uh, Fazlidin Gaib Nazarov. He's fighting on the card. Russian Olympian Vladimir Nitikin making his pro debut. So this is a stacked card of prospects. 
you know, these are showcase fights. You're not going to get 50-50 matchups here or anything like that. Although I do think the main event will be competitive. But a lot of prospects, a lot of young talent on this card to take a look at, guys. Now, technically on July 15th, Sunday, over in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur at the Axiata Arena, it's actually going to be Saturday night here. We're going to go from this ESPN card with uh, Reggie's Pro Gray. It's going to go right into this ESPN Plus card from Manny Pacquiao Promotions, where Lucas Matisse is defending for the first time his WBA regular welterweight title against Manny Pacquiao. So this was the fight that a lot of people didn't know if it was even going to happen, right? The money came through. Manny Pacquiao did it. The fight's going to happen. And I think it's going to be a pretty fun, interesting fight because of where these guys are both at in their careers at this time. Pacquiao coming off that loss to Jeff Horn last July 2nd. This is his fifth fight since 2014. Now, Lucas Matisse, his third fight, this will be his third fight since the loss to Victor Postal in 2015. So neither one of these guys have been crazy active, but Pacquiao has been the more consistently active fighter, fighting at least once a year since 2015. And of course, Matisse was gone for a while. He was out, I think, all of 2016. And then he's come back. I think he had one fight in 2017, and he's had one fight so far this year. So it's interesting. Over the last few years, Pacquiao has been more active. But recently, it's Matisse who's been a little more active. He's fought twice since after Pacquiao lost to Horn, technically lost to Horn. I mean, I, I thought Pacquiao won that fight. Most people thought he won the fight, but technically it was a loss. So let's look at the situation with Manny. He worked with Freddie Roach and Bob Arum for ages. There was this love triangle, this marriage, and it was this international love fest between these guys. And if you saw what Freddie Roach did to Pacquiao in terms of making him a more complete fighter and what Bob Arum did with Pacquiao, making him a worldwide superstar, you know, you'd think that these guys were going to be together forever. But it looks like it's completely blown up, man. Not working with Freddie Roach. He's working with Boo Boy Fernandez, who is a friend. It's never good to train with a friend. Look back to Vladimir Klitschko. When Emmanuel Stewart died, he trained the last couple years of his career with uh, Jonathan Banks, who is a friend that he used to spar and train with in camp there in Crump. Banks is from Detroit, Stewart out of Detroit, and they would all work together as a team. And eventually, Jonathan Banks just said, look, man, I'll train you. Or Vlad asked him to train him. And that was it. But basically, Vladimir Klitschko was training himself. It's basically working out with your homie. He's holding the mitts up for you. And you're working on combinations and stuff. But there's no science being taught in that kind of situation. Now, at least Banks was a fighter. But he wasn't. He's not a true trainer. And you saw the differences in Vladimir Klitschko's performances. Look at Vladimir Klitschko against Tyson Fury with Jonathan Banks in the corner. If Emmanuel Stewart is in that corner, Vladimir Klitschko pulls off that win. And he shows up in a completely different shape for that fight. So look at the Anthony Joshua fight when Vladimir Klitschko had Anthony Joshua hurt. And Jonathan Banks and his brother Vitaly Klitschko are saying, oh, 
Get off the gas pedal, lay off, box them. Just keep boxing them. Take them to the deep waters. You think Emmanuel Stewart would be saying that shit? No. Klitschko would have stopped him. He would have finished Joshua in the next round or two. That could be a similar situation here with Boo Boy Fernandez. Freddie Roach is a trainer. Freddie Roach was a boxer. He has forgotten more about boxing and fighting than Boo Boy Fernandez will ever know. So Pacquiao is essentially training himself and will be leading his own corner in this fight against Matisse. Now, as far as I understand it, Pacquiao never contacted Freddie Roach personally to let him know he was working with Fernandez. Freddie had to find out about it like reading the LA Times or something, which is pretty shitty. It's pretty messed up. I believe Pacquiao is promoting this card himself, but Bob Arum, through top rank, is overseeing some of the logistics and I think putting on some of the undercard fights and handling the US TV distribution, which is through ESPN Plus and their deal with ESPN. So they're still loosely working together, but the marriage between Manny and Freddie, I believe is dissolved. They're definitely separated. They're definitely living in separate houses. They're definitely seeing other people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's the same thing with Manny and Top Rank. So I don't know what's going to happen in the future with that. A lot of it is dependent on this fight. If Manny can beat Matisse, he technically will have a title. Now, nobody in their right mind thinks Pacquiao can beat the likes of Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford or even Keith one-time Thurman. One-time meaning how often he fights every two years or so. I don't even know if Manny Pacquiao beats Danny Garcia at this point or Sean Porter. I don't think he beats those guys at all. So um, if he wins this title, what does it mean? What is he going to do with it? I don't know. I don't know. A lot of people have asked why this fight is in Malaysia. Well, that's pretty simple. Manny Pacquiao has tax issues in the States. He ain't going to fight here unless it's a major, major fight where he's making an insane amount of money. Until then, he's going to promote shows like this over in that part of the world where the money stays in his pocket. You know what? I don't blame him. I honestly don't blame him. Uh, Manny, I've talked about this for a long time, has spent money he ain't even made yet. So he's in a predicament where if he doesn't have to fight in America, why do it? I mean, I totally understand that. You know, a lot of you guys have talked about me being critical of Manny Pacquiao. Look, if you read my stuff, some of you guys, you, know, you guys who say that, you really only know me from my YouTube channel. You don't know me from when, you know, a decade ago I was writing and blogging on eastsideboxing.com and places like that. And I loved Manny Pacquiao. I, I thoroughly believe 100% he was the fighter of the decade from 2000 through 2009. He was clearly the fighter of the decade, not Floyd Mayweather or any other name you want to put out there. It was Manny. He was the most dynamic just story in boxing, but also most dynamic fighter of that decade in his growth, his ceiling, where he started to where he ended up. It was phenomenal. It was a once in a generation type thing. He was the story of boxing, really, in my opinion, of all martial arts in that time. But that time passed and some of the money and some of the fame has gotten to Manny a little bit. 
He has changed. He is not the same person now that he was years ago. And that happens to people. And that's okay. Abel Sanchez talking to me last week about Canelo Alvarez. And he genuinely feels that Canelo Alvarez has changed because of the money. He was telling me about when Canelo came into uh, Big Bear, to the summit in Big Bear, to use their gym, their facilities, for either two or three training camps. He was in there, and they'd talk. And he wasn't working with Abel, but, you know, they'd talk. And, he's, you know, he sparred some of Abel's guys and everything. And, and he said that Canelo and his team were awesome back then. His entourage was like four or five people. And now Canelo's just a different guy. And th- th- this is not my words. This is coming from Abel Sanchez. This is just some of the stuff we were talking about on the phone. And I, a lot of people would say this kind of stuff about Manny Pacquiao now. Personally, you know, I don't really care about all that crap. I care about what happens in the ring. And as far as what I see in the ring, this guy has been going through the motions from about 2011, 2012. It's kind of when it started. You know, when he, I think he fought Shane Mosley, maybe in 2010, maybe it was 2011. Had him hurt, let him off the hook. You know, um, he just wasn't the same dynamo we saw. In one of the fights with Marquez, maybe it was the third one. Maybe uh, third one, I think. It just wasn't the same dynamic Manny, the passion. The, the first Bradley fight, which I still think Manny won, but we didn't see that passion. We didn't see. It's the same thing against uh, Jeff Horn last year. Th- guys, that's just gone. And this is a guy who's been fighting for the money for ha- well over half a decade now, the better part of uh, a decade. And that's okay. That's his prerogative. I'm not dissing him for it. And Manny really was so special that just going through the motions, this this dude would just go through camp basically as one long workout. That's all camp was to him. He wasn't really focused and dedicated. I'm not early Manny. That's different. I'm talking about Manny 2010 and after. Camp was just a long workout. He'd still be out partying with his homies. He'd be out playing pool. He'd be out uh, at strip clubs, at bars, all kinds of shit. Um, he'd be doing his singing. You know, he'd be involved in, with movies and, and all kinds of stuff. And he still was so special. He could still be one of the best fighters in the world for a while doing that shit. But eventually it caught up to him. And that's where we're at right now. And if you guys had been there to see Manny at his absolute height, You'd know just how shot, and I use that word shot, and it offends some of you, it triggers some of you. I'm not talking about shot as just, shot as a fighter in general terms. I'm talking about shot compared to prime Manny. He is shot. He is a shell of the guy we saw 10 years ago. A complete shell. And at one point, I really, truly believe Manny Pacquiao was the pound-for-pound best martial artist on earth. I'm not saying boxer. I'm saying martial artist. And I think he would have beat Floyd Mayweather 2008, 2009, around that time. I would have slightly favored Manny. I just think he would have been too much for Floyd at 140 or 147 at that time. Maybe a catchweight of 144 or something. Would have been too much. Maybe it would have been seven rounds to five or a split decision or something like that. Maybe a knockdown is what wins Manny the fight. Something like that. A come from behind kind of win. I don't know. But 
That's what I think could have happened back then. The guy we have now is so faded from that time. It's just hard for me to watch him. It's hard for me to get excited. Now, as it relates to Lucas Matisse, since he's come back from that postal loss, two straight knockouts over Emmanuel Taylor, who was 3-3 three three coming in to that fight, hasn't fought since, and Tiwa Karam, that Thai fighter, who just, as it turns out, just isn't that good. We didn't know much about him, and it turns out we saw all we needed to see when he fought Matisse. And I was ringside for that fight. Here's another thing about Matisse people haven't talked about. He hasn't faced a southpaw since 2012. He fought one southpaw in 2012 and got a TKO 10 win. It wasn't an elite opponent. It was a B-level opponent. And then in 2011, he fought Devin Alexander, who's the southpaw, and had a split decision loss. Some people think that Matisse deserved to win that fight. Very, very close fight. Whatever. So he hasn't fought a southpaw now in six years or so. That matters. Manny is not just a southpaw. He's a very explosive, dynamic southpaw. For Pacquiao, since he fought Floyd in 2015, he beat an old Tim Bradley for in their third fight, which that fight never needed to happen. And then he beat uh, Jesse Vargas. He knocked him down a few times, but couldn't get him out of there, but still dominated that fight. And then he had that Jeff Horn fight. So neither one of these guys has been crazy active but if you look at the overall opposition over the last two three years Manny's fought the better guys and even Jeff Horn is better than Emmanuel Taylor and Tiwa Karam so based on everything I've said about Manny who he is his legacy all of it and that we're talking Malaysia people Malaysia Manny Pacquiao is going to win this fight by unanimous decision. And he will be the new WBA regular welterweight champion. Where he goes from here, I don't know. But that's what will happen. Also on this card, there's a few other title fights. Uh, some of them are for interim or vacant titles. And uh, one of the fighters on the undercard is an interesting Filipino flyweight prospect, Jack Tapora, who's 21-0 with 16 knockouts. I think he's fighting for a title. I can't remember if it's a vacant title or I think it's an interim title he's fighting for. So he's definitely a prospect worth uh, checking out on this card. But that's what I see, guys. I see Manny winning a unanimous decision in Malaysia in a pretty entertaining fight. Let me know what you guys think. I'm sorry if I triggered some of you with the side titty comments and the Manny being shot comments. But, you know, I'm just telling it like it is, brother. I'll see you guys in New Orleans this weekend. Get at me, all right? See us at the fights, for real this time, in New Orleans.